Chapter Eleven of Doomsday Eve by Robert Moore Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doomsday Eve, Chapter Eleven. Jake, Ed, and Cal were part of that hell. Each carried a smoking weapon in his hands. A body lay on the floor. Somewhere in one of the small rooms, a woman was screaming. In the middle of the room stood the man who was obviously in charge of the situation. At the sight of this man, Kurt Zen felt his breath draw into his body so heavily that it whistled through his nostrils. Kuso's lieutenant. The others in the room were the Asians who had been with the lieutenant the night before. I should have slit their throats while they were asleep and in my power last night, Zen raged. The only sound in the passage was that of West breathing heavily, like a man who had run a marathon and had lost. No, there were two men. Additional shock came up in Kurt Zen when he realized he was the second man. He seized the craggy man by the shoulder. West, they can't have that super radar. If we lose that, we have lost the war. The craggy man did not move. Anguish grew in Zen's voice. If we lose this one, it will be the first war we have ever lost, and the last one. Nothing will remain to come after us except death and desolation. I know, West said. The race soul will have to start over, in the swamps and on the mudflats, trying to rebuild the race with tools long since worn out and out of place in time. Again the tones of a bell were in his voice, but now the bell was tolling the death of a people, wailing that the glory that once had been was truly gone wailing that the brave world that some men had tried to build was going into ashes and into doom. "'Do you believe in the race soul, too?' West gasped. "'Belief is too weak a word. I know it exists.' Nedra sighed in West's arms and opened her eyes. Seeing who was holding her, she lay back in the arms of the craggy man, more than ever like a tired child. "'What was it?' she whispered. What's wrong? I... I took a little nap." West set her on her feet and pointed at the opening. She clutched at the stone wall as she saw what was happening inside. Running, the bronze girl who had danced to the slow music the night before came fleeing from a room. One of Kuso's soldiers was pursuing her. She fled like a deer before some great hound that was interested in pulling her down, but she did not flee fast enough. The soldier caught her and dragged her back into a room. "'West, how many of these kids did you have here?' Zen asked. "'About fifty, the craggy man answered. "'I don't know how many are left, nor can I guess how many will choose to stay alive if they are conquered before their training is completed.' "'And no weapons?' "'None.' "'What about my gun that was taken from me while I slept?' What good would one gun do now? None, I guess, Zen said helplessly. But as they try to run me down, I'd like to have it in my hands. I'd at least take a few of them with me before they got me. We will survive, West said, his voice a mumble. Zen pointed through the opening to the bodies lying on the floor below them. They didn't, he said. The craggy man groaned. If I had time, I would try to explain to you that survival does not lie in the body and can never be achieved there." Zen answered, 
I have no time for metaphysics. For purposes of defense, I'm taking command." He felt foolish as he spoke. What resources were his to command? What troops? What weapons? He knew the answer as the thought crossed his mind. If he only had the remnants of the broken column moving down the mountains after its disaster encounter with Cuso's blooper. An idea came into his mind. Perhaps he could have these troops. "'Where's my pack?' he demanded. His radio equipment was in that. "'It went with your gun into the deep hole,' West said. "'The deep hole is a fault the old miners uncovered here. It's miles deep.' He shook his head. "'Damn,' Kurt Zen said. The depression in him was as deep as the fault in the mountain. "'Isn't there any place where we can hide?' "'Many places,' West said. This whole mountain is a honeycomb of tunnels and shafts. We have explored fifteen separate levels, and there are others which lie below the present waterline." He did not protest at Zen's statement that the latter was taking command, but seemed willing to submit to the colonel's authority, and also interested in seeing how Zen would handle the problem. "'Then find us a place to hide until we can decide what to do to eliminate Cuso's men. A hiding hole first, then radio equipment. As soon as I can gain access to shortwave transmitting equipment, I can have a regiment of paratroopers on their way here." "'You sound as if you have authority,' Nedra commented. "'I have.' "'But you gave me the impression you were a deserter.' "'They haven't discovered that yet at headquarters. As far as they are concerned, I'm on a secret mission. And I haven't deserted the human race.' Zen put sting into his words. The implication was that the two people present were really deserters. "'Ah, well, Colonel, we shall see about that.' West had recovered most of his aplomb. Again he seemed to be observing from a great distance the antics of this strange species called human. But his face remained bleak and his eyes had flickers of lightning in them. He started away from the opening. And stopped as metal clanged ahead of them. A door opened there. An Asian soldier with his rifle at the ready came through. A second one followed the first. The rifles of both covered West. Zen jerked his arms toward the roof. Neither the craggy man nor Nedra moved a muscle. Slowly, West and Nedra raised their hands. At gunpoint, the two soldiers herded them toward the main gallery. At the sight of them, the lieutenant hastily called Cal to him. Is this the one? he demanded, pointing at West. That's him, Cal answered. He's the leader here. He's the one you want. Elation appeared as a shock wave on the yellow face of the Asian lieutenant. Calling two men to him, he had West step aside, treating the craggy man with respect that bordered on deference, but also with great firmness. You two stand against the wall with the others, he said to Nedra and Kurt Zen. There was no deference in his voice as he spoke to them. If they move, Shoot them," he ordered his men. As Kurt and Nedra obeyed, the lieutenant drew West to one side and began a conversation with him. His men were still busy searching the old mine tunnels. Now and then they brought more captives to the main gallery. Cal, Jake, and Ed remained in the center of the big room. Cal was trying to look important, but the expression on his face indicated he was hiding guilt pangs somewhere inside. As soon as he saw Nedra, Ed's eyes became fixed on her, though he did not look at her face. 
Jake's murky eyes were roving the chamber. He did not seem to comprehend what he was seeing, but seemed to be living in some other world that was even more confusing and more clouded than this one. The bronze girl, utterly naked, came limping into the gallery from one of the small rooms. She had a dazed expression on her face, and she looked around the room as if she could not comprehend what was happening. At the sight of her, the lieutenant left off talking to West for a moment, his eyes glowing. But his conversation with West was more important than his lust. He motioned with his gun for the bronze girl to take her place against the wall. She stared at him as if she did not understand him. He waved the gun again. Some dull comprehension of his meaning penetrated her mind. She stumbled to the wall but fell face downward on the stone floor. Nedra, with a little cry of pity on her lips, moved quickly to the side of the bronze girl. Zen started to move, then stopped, but not because the rifle of one of the guards was swinging up to menace him. Nedra gave a quick examination of the girl, then got slowly to her feet. "'Dead?' Zen said. "'Yes. But how did you know?' "'Just a hunch. What caused it, shock?' "'I imagine so. After she was violated, she wanted to die. So she really died because she wanted to.' I... I... Tears appeared in Nedra's violet eyes and ran down her cheeks. But she did not sob, though muscles moved in her throat. West glanced at the bronze girl. He seemed to know, without being told, what had happened. His face became bleak. The lieutenant regarded the body of the dead girl with regret. When the soldier who had violated her came out of the room, the lieutenant ordered him to remove the body. Zen got the impression that the lieutenant, even though he was talking earnestly with the craggy man, was waiting. Forty of the new people were herded into the room and forced to stand against the walls. Bronze striplings they were. Not a one was out of his twenties, and several were obviously in their teens. Though they were confused, they kept silent. "'Is this all?' Zen heard the lieutenant ask West. The craggy man must have known at a glance the answer to this question, but he took the time to count every person. "'This is all,' he said positively. The lieutenant seemed to believe him, but Zan would have given odds that the man was lying. The lieutenant continued to wait. A guard, entering hastily, saluted. When Zen saw who was following the soldier, he realized why the lieutenant had been waiting. Kuso came into the gallery. The Asian leader was a giant almost seven feet tall and big in proportion. He looked capable of killing a man with his bare hands, and probably was. Just looking at him, Zen knew why he had been selected to lead the airborne landing in America. Radiating power and strength, he was the type for this kind of mission. Besides power, he radiated something else. Zen sensed this something else as a sickening feeling at the pit of his stomach a tightening of muscles in the diaphragm. When Kuso appeared, the lieutenant stiffened himself to attention and almost broke his arm saluting. He and Kuso spoke together in a sing-song dialect that Zen did not pretend to understand. As they talked, the lieutenant continued to point at West. A grin broke out on Kuso's face. He beckoned the craggy man to him. The craggy man approached, but did not salute. Prisoners were not permitted to salute nor did he get down on his hands and knees, which was not only permitted, 
but required among the Asians. West stood arrow straight. In spite of his disagreements with him, Zen felt proud of Sam West now. Kuso was grinning placatingly, but in spite of the grin, West surely knew that he was looking at death, that the slightest show of resistance on his part would have only one result, although Kuso might save him until he had wrung all possible information out of him. Zen did not in the least doubt that information was what the Asian wanted first. After that, there was the tradition of torturing helpless prisoners. "'I have heard much about you,' Kuso said. For an Asian, he spoke fair English. "'I am greatly honored,' West answered. "'However, I am curious as to how you heard about me.' A sly grin flitted across the Asian's face. "'We have our sources of information.' "'Spies?' West asked. "'We have spies, of course, but they could not find out much about you. There are other ways. How do you say it?' "'Clairvoyance?' West asked. Yes, that is right. Kuso looked pleased to be given the right word. He also looked startled because he had been given the right fact. Zen, listening, was surprised too. He knew that the suggestion to use clairvoyance to find out what the enemy was doing had often been made. As an intelligence officer, he had investigated several clairvoyants who had volunteered for this purpose. He knew that such a project had been set up but he did not know what the results had been, if any. However, to learn that the enemy had not only entertained the same ideas, but had used them with some success, startled him. "'I suspected clairvoyance,' West said. "'Ah,' Kuso said. "'Did you also suspect that the only reason this airborne landing was made on these shores was to capture you?' Even West's perfect control of his features could not hide the start of surprise at these words. I am not that important," he said. Kuzo smiled deprecatingly, and made a little gesture with his hand which said that such modesty was becoming in the truly great. Oddly, Zen had the impression that the Asian leader meant this. "'As to that, I have the great privilege of offering you a commission as a field marshal in the armies of the United Asia.' His voice dripped oil and awe, oil because he was selling awe because he was truly impressed by the rank of field-marshal. Perhaps, as a result of the successful achievement of this difficult mission, even he might have this rank. Hunger thickened on Kuso's face as he thought of this. West blinked, then smiled back at Kuso. "'That is interesting. But what makes you think I would be interested in such a commission, or in any commission, in your armies?' for protection, for one reason," Kuzo answered promptly. Our reports indicate that you are not a citizen of any country. Since this leaves you with no friends to protect you, this is an undesirable position. On the other hand, since you belong to no one, every country feels that you are an enemy. Because of this, your life is constantly in danger. However, holding our commission, you are automatically a citizen of United Asia and thus are under our protection." Kuzo spoke as if being a citizen of United Asia was important, and that holding a commission in its armies was even more so. "'Do you think I have no friends?' West asked. "'Well, you are not a citizen of—why do you think I need protection?' 
West continued. The oily smile slid off the giant Asian's face. For an instant the wild beast underneath showed through. Perhaps you do not need protection personally, but under the circumstances as I have outlined them, our mantle would automatically extend to the people working with you." His eyes went around the room to the youths standing rigidly against the wall. In this circuit his gaze flicked contemptuously past the corpses lying on the floor. The face of the craggy man got bleak again. He understood only too well what lay back of Cusso's words. "'I see what you mean. But what do you wish of me?' His voice carried an intimation of surrender in the face of odds that he recognized as being hopeless. Zen, with his back to the wall, tried to keep from squirming. Emotions that were causing actual pain were in his body. Why would the race-mind permit such an outrage as this? The smile on Cusso's face went from ear to ear. Here was victory. Here was the submission of the enemy. Here was what his leaders wanted. Here was a marshal's baton for him. Really, very little. He drew in his breath with a hiss as he addressed West, a sign of deferent politeness. Merely that you show us what you have here, and, of course, that you should explain it all to our scientists and engineers, showing them how your equipment operates. The room got very quiet after Cusso had finished speaking. West seemed to muse. What do you think we have here?" he said. If I knew the answer to that question, I would not be asking such a stupid thing," Cusso answered. Quite true, West agreed. I was stupid to even ask such a question. The time is here to end stupidity, Cusso said. Again I agree, the craggy man answered. He shrugged. Well, when and where do you want me to start? The smile on his face was a mixture of fear and resignation. It indicated that he had given up completely. "'Now you are talking the kind of words I like to hear,' Cusso said emphatically. "'You will start now and show me, personally, everything that is of importance in this mountain.' "'Very well. Follow me.' West turned and moved toward the opening that led to the chamber where the super-radar was hidden. "'Wait here,' Cusso snapped at his lieutenant. Shoot any person who moves. Yes, great one, the lieutenant answered, saluting. This was the kind of order he loved to obey. Cuso and West went out of sight. Jake, Cal, and Ed stood in the middle of the room. Ed approached the lieutenant, nodded toward Nedra, and spoke earnestly to the man. The lieutenant shook his head vigorously, a gesture which seemed to indicate that Ed was being very stupid. The bantam grumbled to himself and moved away. Out of the corners of his eyes he kept watching the nurse. Nedra ignored him. She also ignored Kurt Zen. As silent as so many statues, the new people stood against the stone walls. They seemed stunned. The impossible had happened to them and they were having difficulty in adjusting to it. John was not in the room. Either he had succeeded in hiding or he had been killed. The fat youth was standing directly across the gallery from Zen. Farther down the wall, clad in pants and a bra, was a shapely blonde. When he was not watching Nedra, Ed paid attention to her. His action seemed to irritate the lieutenant. Lifting his rifle, he fired a single shot through the head of the bantam. Ed collapsed, dead before he hit the floor. 
two Asian soldiers carried the body away. "'That lieutenant is hell on lovers,' Zen whispered. Nedra did not answer him. Her face was pale and her breathing was shallow. A film of sweat glistened on her forehead. Glancing at her, Zen had the impression that she was listening. For what, he wondered. The only thing that was left for any of them was the sounding of the Trump of Doom. Zen had no illusions that Kuso would keep his promises for any longer than was expedient. First, West and all the others must be pumped dry of information, the whole interior of the mountain must be thoroughly explored, then more bodies for the deep hole. Zen had no illusions that either West or the new people would long survive the information they could be forced to divulge. As to Kuso's talk of West being given a commission as a marshal of the Asian Federation for protection, the colonel knew that Asian field marshals had been listed among the missing before now. A field marshal who fell from grace vanished. Across the gallery the fat youth also vanished. One second he was there, the next second he was gone. End of chapter 11